0: My name is Julie Turney, and this is the HR Sound Off Podcast Show, the show created for HR and business professionals to discuss pertinent topics and trends as it relates to our professions. We're going to have amazing conversations with HR professionals from all over the world, get to learn their origin stories. How did they get into this profession? What did they love about being here? And how they want to set the record straight on that one misconception that really drives them crazy about our profession. Are you ready? I'm ready. Then let's sound off. Hello, everyone, and welcome to today's episode of HR Sound Off. Today, I am joined with Gethin Nadin, and we are going to have an interesting conversation about employee well-being, but with a twist. Um, because you know how we do it here at HR Sound Off, Gethin, welcome to the sound booth. How are you doing today? Hello,
1: thank you for having me. I'm pretty good. Life in a pandemic is uh, hopefully coming to an end, so the, the, ah. the light at the end of the tunnel, I hope. So, yeah. The, are you
0: obviously. all vaccinated?
1: Not yet, but I think in the next month or six weeks or so, we should we should all be in the UK. So, fingers crossed. Okay.
0: Okay. Well, I hope that goes well. So. We're going to start talking today about employee well-being and why this is important. But before we do that, can you just tell our audience a little bit about yourself? Who is Gethin Medin?
1: Oh, big question! Um, so, if right the way back to when I was a kind of a kid, uh, I was all about art. So, wanted to go to art college, uh, studied art history in school. Um, when I when I reached about fourteen years old, I wanted to be an animator. And so that was what I was going to do in my life was to uh, do clay models, you know, Wallace and Gromit and things like that. So that Ooh, was going to
0: be like more like, uh,
1: exactly. Sorry, yeah, I'm dating so,
0: myself here. <laughs>
1: <laughs> so, um, so yeah, so I did my work experience. A couple of animation companies worked with um, Nick Park and Ardman Animations and uh, a few others. And so that was that was going to be my life, and um, it didn't quite turn out that way. And I ended up studying psychology at university. Um, I then worked, I kind of stayed in the media because I then worked in television for about two years, so mm-hmm. doing kind of television shows for uh, lots of Brit- British and European TV, um, and then that work kind of stopped and I kind of had to make a decision about whether I wanted a, a proper full-time job or whether I just mm-hmm. wanted to doing those little contracts, um, and, and basically just fell into a job in pensions um, at a large insurance company in the UK, and that began my journey into kind of employee benefits, which has kind of moved into engagement and experience, and uh, and now I've been part of the senior leadership team at an employee experience technology business called Benefits for the last ten years. Seen mm-hmm. that through, you know, we went out to 400 plus people. We were 20 when I started, so quite a lot of growth. Um, my kind of shares and stuff all paid out many years ago. So um, yeah, so that's kind of where we are now. So most of my time is spent advising pretty large global employers on how to make better employee experiences and and better employee wellbeing strategies at work and and clearly during the pandemic yeah it's been a really busy time for me as employers around the world just realized oh actually we do need to do something about people who are anxious and depressed and worried and concerned Mm -hmm. on such a large scale so it's been probably I would say the busiest time in my professional life uh to date which is which is good at least there's, there's some good amongst all of this but
0: so that's it in
1: a nutshell that's that's who i am
0: (laughs) that's who you are and we are so grateful that you are here and a part of this community um helping organizations to do better and be better so you mentioned the pandemic um it's been a great time of uncertainty but it's also been a great time of stress and worry for a lot of people um, when you go into organizations and you're trying to figure out their current employee experience versus how they can enhance it, what are some of the things that you're looking at
1: so one of the first questions I always start with is kind of um, if I was to stop one of your employees on the street not knowing who they were and just ask them, "Does your employer care about you what do you think what do you think the answer to that question would be? Because I do think a lot of employee well-being is the perception that my employer is going to be there when I need them. Yeah. Um, and I think we get carried away with we need to be doing the right things and buying the right things. Mm-hmm. When actually so much of well-being is how we treat our people. Yes. And that's stuff that can't be bought, yet we've... We all live in an operate, a kind of global market where well-being has become a really marketized term. So it's kind of, if you buy this thing, mm-hmm. that will solve this well-being problem in your organization. Mm-hmm. Yeah, if you strip all of that out and look at the research, a lot of it is around, actually, if I go through a divorce, if I lose a family member, uh, if I have a really stressful period in my life, will my employer be there for me? Will they give me the support I need? Will they give me the breathing space I need? Mm-hmm. Um, and the pandemic has that was the kind of that was the incident we were always what, we're talking about you know when we said people like me said you know you work for somebody who's going to be there for you when you really need it yeah pandemic overnight was the thing that you needed to be able to prove that your employer actually cared about you
0: yeah
1: so i feel like this has been a good test of the employee employer relationship mm-hmm. and globally you look at some of the figures that have come out in just the last few months and you'll see that around 50 percent of people say they will be looking for another job when the pandemic is over, because yeah. they were not happy with the way their employer supported them, yes. Um And so it's kind of no surprise that uh, employee well-being has kind of shot up the agenda. But mm-hmm. you know, typically, I'll start with that first question: you know, do employees think you care about them? Yeah. And then second, or kind of why are we doing this? Like, why are you talking to me? Are you trying to do well-being because you feel like you should be doing it? Mm-hmm. Or are you doing it because your CEO or the board has told you to look at well-being, you or are you doing apart. it? Exactly, yeah. and uh, so people will look at things like those traditional kind of uh, objective measures like turnover and absence and be mm-hmm. like, I want to get those figures down, so I want to invest in well-beings because mm-hmm. the more well people are, the less absence they take, the the, the less the cost to me as an organisation. Yeah. But you have an awful lot of customers I deal with who just actually say to me, because it's the right thing to do and we really want to look after our people. Mm-hmm. And I think that's really the answer I'm trying to get at because I think yeah. if you're doing it for the right reasons – you will succeed far more than if you're doing it because you just feel like you should be.
0: Yes, definitely. And I think asking those two questions is very pertinent to being able to help you discover how you can help them. And whether or not an organization is intentional about employee well-being is very important as well. Um, I think that a lot of organizations have recognized, as you rightly said, because of the pandemic, um, the importance of taking care of their people. I was looking at the reward gateway survey that they did recently. and one of the there were about three things that they mentioned um, employees were struggling with. and a lot of people were saying yes, they're going to mo- change their careers or they're going to move from the organization they're in because they didn't like the experience that they had with their employer during COVID which definitely speaks volumes that a lot of um, organizations still have a lot of work to do. So while there are organizations out there that are doing good things and their light is being shone on them and you feel, almost would feel like we're moving in the right direction. Yes, and you feel like it's the majority, but it's not. A lot of people are still very much stuck um, back in that space of not taking care of their people. And the other thing that that survey highlighted as well is that a lot of organizations are struggling with engaging their employees during the pandemic. They just don't know how to keep their people motivated or, you know, to find ways to make sure that they feel okay and they feel safe with their organization. Um, Is this some of the things that you've experienced as you've been working with organizations? Does that survey sound true to you?
1: um yeah it does in in the uk in particular so if you look at the first couple of months of the from the first uk lockdown and we looked at the engagement figures two thirds of employees in this country in the uk said that um employee engagement scores went up so most people actually um uh, reported higher employee engagement a few months into the first lockdown and i think whenever you have a big scale trauma like this mm-hmm. uh, we all band together a little bit more. We yeah. feel like a bit more part of a community and, and the workplace is no different. So I think part mm-hmm. of that was we all felt like we were kind of fighting something together. Mm-hmm. Um, but what happened overnight as well is um, employers started being more open and transparent with their employees. So they would tell them about furlough and they'll tell them about redundancies. And they were very clear that this is a difficult time for the business and where the gaps might be but we also started communicating with them a lot more. Yeah. So most companies started having weekly briefings where the CEO was on a video chat and they were talking to all of their people and kind of being really open and honest and kind of actually saying, we know this is a really difficult time and we want to be here for you. So tell us what we need to do or this is what we're going to do or we're going to kind of, give you a little bit more breathing space, whatever it might be, giving employees the benefit of the doubt. Mm -hmm. So the reason I think why employee engagement scores generally went up at the start of the pandemic is because employers started acting the way people like you or I have wanted them to act for decades. Mm -hmm. Uh, And then what we started to see is six to nine months after the first lockdown in the UK, those engagement scores dropped and actually people were 25% less likely to say that their manager or their company cares about them mm-hmm. because as soon as we got used to the situation, we stopped from communicating yeah. as frequently, we stopped being as open and supportive. Mm-hmm. And so I think that was a really good experiment in actually what kind of an environment can we create if we do all the things that all the evidence has been telling us to do for quite a long time.
0: Yeah, so it was almost as if it, we went through a honeymoon phase where we were getting them to do what we wanted them to do. Then the honeymoon phase is over, and then they they reverted back to their natural selves. And um, one of the things that I also that really stuck with me, um, based on the experience that I had as well, um, part part of the way through um, the first lockdown, um, my organization very supportive. But then at some point, when we started to think about people returning to work, there was word up the pipeline, you know, higher up um, in terms of getting people back into the office, COVID isn't real. You're hearing leaders say COVID isn't real, or, oh, you know, people are being paranoid. And then at one point, I was hearing, you know, well, maybe HR is putting it in people's minds that COVID is is the serious thing. That That should stop them from wanting to feel safe in the office. Just let's get people back in the office. Um, and I think a lot of, my, a, a lot of us in HR experienced that, um, where people were saying those kind of things to us or we were hearing those kind of things from up the pipeline coming down as we were trying to do our best to figure out the well-being of our people. And th- you talk about trauma. COVID-19 is a was it is still a traumatic event that we are going through. And we focus a lot on the employees and their well-being. But we've gone through this in a whole different way as HR professionals we are on the front line of every organization just just like frontline workers, we are frontline workers of the organization where the gatekeepers what what would you say at this point in terms of how HR should be striving to take care of themselves um, at this time?
1: Yeah, so I think you're right. So this is, we are, this is mass trauma. You're absolutely right that we're going through. And um, the the mental health impact on employees and and all of us in society uh, right across the world is gonna be quite significant for quite some time. So this is a pivotal moment, I think, in the collective mental health of the world and I think in years to come we will start to find out more about how it affected us and we'll start to see kind of more and more people going for, for, for professional help over the next kind of three to five years and we know already when we look at Um, countries that have had lockdowns previously so parts of Asia in 2003 because of the SARS and MERS Mm -hmm. epidemics, we know that locking people down and keeping them away from family and friends and disrupting their lives has an impact on their mental health. Mm -hmm. We know from the evidence that's emerging that just can contract in the virus itself Mm -hmm. even if you recovered fully from it and you didn't even go to the hospital for it's having an impact on your ability to develop a mental health uh, issue in the future. And so, this kind of mass trauma we're going through, we have evidence of what the impact's going to be for some time to come. And we can also look at other traumatic events like Hurricane Katrina in the US, mm-hmm. uh, the September 11 bombing of the Twin Towers. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the Chernobyl incident in kind of Eastern Europe, um, you know, 25 years after some of those events and five years after those events, society was still reeling from the mental health impact. And when you look at the people that were impacted most, exactly as you've said, the people who were dealing with the front line or had to deal with uh, part of the recovery or were dealing with a, a, an increased amount of kind of stress mm-hmm. weighing above what the general public was. And I think when you look at HR people, they've had to deal with, you know, just in the UK, for example, really, really kind of sketchy and fast-changing rules around kind of what you could and couldn't do. Yeah. People have had to get used to really rapid payroll changes because mm-hmm. you know, we never really had furlough in the yep. UK before, and all of a sudden you had furlough to deal with. Mm-hmm. And so you had HR reward and payroll people who were on a Sunday night watching the Prime Minister in the UK give an announcement and then clambering around trying to translate that into something the next day. Mm-hmm. And I think you're really right in what you say as well about some organisations have had people that have believed it's a hoax and have, and have been spreading rumours and false information about the coronavirus. Mm-hmm. So HR has had to become this source of truth as well. Yep. So obviously with all of our customers, the HR and reward teams have been having to go and read the World Health Organisation website, the yeah, government okay. website, all these different professional websites to be able to create this kind of what is our view as a company and how are we going to get that truth out to our people and make sure that all of our people have the same story you know they Mm -hmm. they hear all from those kind of verified sources Mm -hmm. and so I think it's been a hugely stressful time for HR and I think you're right I think it's difficult for any of us that have been in a a really stressful time we sometimes don't realize it when we're in it but when this is over and people are vaccinated against it and we learn to live with coronavirus in the same way that we do many other kind of uh, diseases and viruses we will look back and we will kind of almost go into this bit of shock I think and kind of think oh, shit, that was, that was really difficult. Maybe I really did struggle more than I thought. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it's been really, really difficult for HR people because when you're in it, you can't – you haven't been able to stop to take a breath for no. 12 months now. There's exactly. always been a change in a rule yeah. or a new variant or a vaccination rollout. Like there's something changing all the time. Yes. Um, and I've lost count of the amount of people that have told me that the pressure they're getting from their employees where you have a small subset of the office that just – desperately want to get back to the workplace mm-hmm. so they're asking hr all the time can we go back can we go back yeah. boris johnson's now said that the 21st of june does that mean i can come back to the office on the 21st of june mm-hmm. obviously the hr team are kind of like well no because i've got to think about the safety of everybody so i've mm-hmm. got to balance the anxiety of the people that don't want to come back to the office mm-hmm. the anxiety of mm-hmm. the people that want to come back to the office mm-hmm. trying to decide as an organization what do we think is the best thing to do for us and not just um, the people that work with us but our society because if you're a big employer in a small area by mm-hmm. opening your doors again you're going to allow people to get on trains and buses and exactly. you don't want to so there's huge huge amount of moving parts that I think most employees don't understand that HR mm-hmm. have had to deal with mm-hmm. so I completely take your point that it's been really really difficult and I know you've tweeted a lot about this but I haven't seen many people talking about we've got to look after ourselves because
0: yep
1: You can't help your business go into recovery if you're not in a good place yourself.
0: No, we definitely cannot. We cannot fix policies. We can't fix strategies or create strategies if we have not fixed ourselves. And that's something that's really key to how we are successful as HR professionals. But I'm so glad that you highlighted all of the moving parts because I think a lot of people don't recognize it, just think it's something as simple as saying, okay, you can go back to work, or okay, we can just add this to our payroll, or we can add this to our benefit, we have to figure all of those things out. And I think in the Caribbean, we had a lot of the same experiences that you mentioned in the UK with government making all of these changes and, you know, extending um, unemployment for particular periods of time and extended the time that you could keep a person um, unemployed before you had to make them redundant. And these were all new things that were being thrown at us. And we had our social partnerships working very hard to figure these things out. And I think the same experiences happened in the U.S. When I started to look at the different legislations and how they were changing every second. And for every state, it's different for every state. So just imagining Mm -hmm. how HR professionals were processing and still are processing all of that. Um, yeah. In order to be able to assist and engage their people is just like a complete mind blowing thing to me that we haven't heard of. And maybe it's just that we haven't heard and because I'm sounding the alarm on Twitter and on LinkedIn. I'm sounding the alarm. We need, we need, we're not, you know, we're doing all of this, but we need help. We're struggling too. And we're employees also. Um, but we're in place, supporting an entire organization from left from right from up from down, and it's not an easy thing to do, and still manage our homes, yeah, so, and our family life it's not it's not easy, not easy, Actually, yeah, I think you would agree,
1: yeah, well, huge sympathy, you know the u s is a really good point, so you look at kind of. The different changes you're seeing, as you mentioned, not just at state level, but federal level. So you're kind of having to juggle two different sets of rules because Mm -hmm. you have lawmakers per state. So if you've got a business that transcends different states in the US, you're trying to make multiple decisions based on rules changing. You know, we saw last week, you know, the Texas uh, governor has kind of told people they don't have to wear masks anymore, even though the federal government is saying you should. Yep. You've got a huge amount to deal with there if you have a presence in in Texas and, mm-hmm. and, and employees that cross over borders and rules changing from one state to another. Yeah. But you know, even in the UK, we've had it. You know, we've we're the United Kingdom, but we exist of kind of uh, four countries together, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and you know, each one of those countries has been making their own rules. And so, you know, most of my work traditionally is done in England, in London, and I live in Wales, and so Wales has been adopting different rules around. Um, uh, when you can go back to work and things like that, when kids go back to school. Mm -hmm. And so even just at UK level, HR teams have had to keep an eye on every update from every leader of every country every week and then (laughs) translate that into, because obviously most businesses probably want to make a universal rule or a universal guideline. So you have to take all that information in. And I think it's fair to say, you know, I've put some stuff at the start of the pandemic about Mm. how hard I thought HR were working on LinkedIn. Um, And it's probably my most, Successful updates since the start um, of ever using LinkedIn. I think it's like mm-hmm. a quarter people have uh, have liked or viewed uh, this update. Mm-hmm. Quite a lot of the times, the comments that appeared on that was they're just doing their job. This yep. is HR's job, and it's like this is not HR's job. We are not working from home. We are working from home in a pandemic. Mm-hmm. This is not just HR. This exactly. is HR in a pandemic,
0: exactly. and so
1: all the things that we've just talked about are not part of the normal everyday life of a hr person mm-hmm. uh, this is a hr person in a pandemic and most of us have never experienced that before there's no guidelines there's no yeah. rule book. uh yeah. the next time one comes along maybe a bit easier for us to deal with but this yeah. is the first time we've had this global pandemic that you know so hr team are not doing an everyday job but they're doing yeah. a very very like you say, critical and an unusual job, which yeah. is, has never existed for them before. And, and, you know, like I say, a huge amount of sympathy for people who would uh, exactly, as you said, you know, juggling being a human at the moment as well mm-hmm. as being HR at the moment.
0: Exactly. Thank you so much for that. You know, we could talk about this all day long. We really, really could. Um, but I, I want to just get some um, final thoughts from you on this topic in terms of, okay, so in terms of business continuity, we've always created business continuity plans that entailed if something happened like a crisis or, you know, like a pandemic now, um, this is how we carry on business if we cannot operate one way or the other. But do you think, I don't think I've ever seen a business continuity plan that factored in wellness. Is there something that you think Organizations to start to look at and what should that kind of look like as you document it?
1: Yeah, I think a really good question. I think a, a, a really important point for people to take note of is that, you know, I certainly know from all the customers that I deal with. The ones that had already adopted well-being, the ones that had already seen well-being, uh, employee well-being as a responsibility of the employer, mm-hmm. weathered this storm better than those that didn't. Because what happened is it doesn't didn't matter that everyone was suddenly working from home or in different locations overnight. It didn't matter so much that people were more stressed or more anxious than they had been in the past because they had a really well-trodden path on if you are struggling in your life, this is the support we have available, yeah. and this is what we're going to be able to give you as a customer. So, you know, for all the customers we know that ran a kind of well-being hub that had links to employee assistance programs, that had free counselling, that had all this education about, you know, if you're experiencing insomnia, this is some, you know how you can get to sleep, yep. the importance of going out and taking walks and 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 all that self-care kind of health literacy, Mm -hmm. the the organisations that had all that stuff available, as soon as everyone was kind of like, ah, what do I do? It's like, go to the place you always go. Mm -hmm. It doesn't matter that what was causing your anxiety was a pandemic. It could have been previously a divorce, or you could have just been stressed, or it could have been money worrying you. Mm -hmm. You had this process where you said to employees, we care about you, Mm -hmm. we want you to be open, we want you to bring your truth to work, which means we want you to tell us if you're struggling. And as soon as you are truthful and honest with us, we have all these different routes of support. Mm
0: -hmm. So those
1: companies I see that had all that stuff already, weathered the lockdown uh, and the pandemic so far really, really well, because people already felt like they were working for a business that cared about them mm-hmm. so that question i said at the start about do you care about me yeah those organizations where people really felt like that were really primed to kind of go to their employer and say do you know what i feel fi- I, I trust you to mm-hmm. get my back i trust that you're going to do the right thing yeah. through the pandemic and you know some of those companies i saw their ceos kind of welling up and crying in their first company updates and mm-hmm. saying we've always wanted to put our people first and that's not changed and we worry about you and we care about you and you want you to come to us and speak to your manager and these companies that have said it doesn't matter if you're having to homeschool your kids if you want to work a couple of hours in the evening let's facilitate that and if your team members can join a call at eight o'clock and you know just so you can school your kids in the middle of the day let's do that and if right. we need to adjust your hours because you've got all this extra responsibility to deal with let's do that so yeah. Those companies that had that whole kind of culture's care and had really thought about the whole way they designed the employee experience around the employee and their needs were set up for that. And I think if any of those companies, which, and there's an awful lot of them around the world that have now done all of these things and bought these new products and offered this new support because of the pandemic, when this is over, don't let that stuff gather dust. Don't put it away. Keep it going because it doesn't matter that it was a pandemic. You or I will go through the death of a family member. We will go through relationship breakdown. We'll struggle with money. It will happen to all of us. Mm -hmm. So I need to be able to know when I come to work, whatever it is I'm struggling with, you can help me with it.
0: Yes, but you've got my back.
1: Absolutely. And so I think, you know, we can't waste this great opportunity that the pandemic gave us to change the way that we work. No. Um, And and we would be fools to go back to what we had before.
0: Yeah, I think one of the things that I've said as we've gone through this is don't let the death of all those people that have gone be in vain, you know, we should come out of this better for it every time. Absolutely. Thank you for that. Gaffin, tell us, what are you reading, watching, listening to right now that you think other um, HR professionals will benefit from?
1: So what I'm watching is an interesting one. So, um, nothing at all to do with hr but I, mm-hmm. I have found a lesson amongst it all so there's a, a great new television drama called um your honor which has come on british television recently mm-hmm. uh, it, it's available on hbo around the world um and it's brian cranston plays a judge and the storyline has nothing really to do with hr but i was watching it the other day and they were talking about rules and one of the characters said rules are like donuts there's a hole there's, there are holes in them mm-hmm. and holes are where the discretion lies no. it really resonated with me because i'm currently writing an article about how we design hr and company policies that aren't uh, sorry that don't have well-being at their core so we design these policies that can actually harm employees and so i'm talking about kind of we have two rigid policies in work or we design policies in, in hr world with the people that are going to break those rules in our minds. Yeah. So we design these policies for the few people who are going to break the rules, but actually not for the benefit of the plenty of people that will not break the rules. Not
0: going to break
1: them, yeah. So I always and so that was a really good quote about I think HR policies are kind of like donuts as well. There are holes in them and that hole is where the discretion lies. Mm-hmm. So we don't treat everyone the same. We don't treat everyone the same because we're not the same. We all have very different and complex lives. Actually. And it's no longer the fair thing to do to treat everyone the same way because we've all had different challenges. And we've we've all experienced this last 12 months very differently to each other. Some people have lost their jobs. Some people have increased their revenues. Yeah, Some people have done really well out of the pandemic. Some people have kind of become devastated by it. Yep. So why do we want to treat all those employees the same? Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I think the idea that we should have more discretion and less rigid rules at work to allow managers to be able to create that experience that's right for that person at the time. Mm-hmm. So like managers empowered to say, our working week is 39 hours, but no, actually you've got a specific challenge and I really want to help you. So we're going to make you 35 hours just for the time being because we yeah. know you have got stuff to deal with rather than saying, oh, what well, if I do that for you, I've got to do that for everyone. For
0: everyone. But, you know,
1: because we're not all dealing with stuff the same way. Mm-hmm. Uh, And so that that's kind of really stuck in my head whilst watching that television program.
0: Okay. Um,
1: And the book I'm reading at the moment is called The Truth Manifesto, uh, and it's about kind of how do we design products and market and stuff like that around truth. Mm -hmm. And I think truth is such an important part of employee well-being. I think if people can't come to your organisation and say, "I'm losing sleep because I owe loads of money and I really don't know what to do," Mm -hmm. or my mental health is really struggling or I'm being abused by my partner, you know, whatever serious thing. We want people to tell us the truth, because without the truth, we can't help them. Um, exactly. So I think you. I'm, I'm really in this mindset at the moment of, you know, how do we create more trusting workplaces so mm. that people can bring their whole truth to work? Yeah. Uh, and that book is, is, is a fascinating read at the moment.
0: Oh, that's really good. I'm going to definitely add that to the comments, um, but I'm also going to buy that book. I've been buying all of the books from my guests recently, but I love that because I also have a truth manifesto that I have for my clients. So I as an HR for HR coach, I tell my clients, you know, you have to tell me the truth. I can't help you if you don't tell me the truth. So I, I love that. So thank you so much for sharing. The big question, Gethin: what is the biggest misconception about HR that really bothers you? That you want to set the record straight on right now. What is it that people are saying about HR that is just so wrong that you want to set the record straight right here, right now?
1: Yeah, so it's a great question, and um I think it's it's fascinating. If you go onto Reddit, the website Reddit, mm-hmm. and you search for HR, you'll find so many forums with people saying how much they hate their HR department or how much their HR department screwed them over or wasn't very nice to them. Mm -hmm. Um, I think in some organisations, HR has still got a pretty bad rap. I think lots of people think HR are like the corporate police and that they're there to just look after the needs of the organisation. And to an extent they are, but I don't think it's mutually exclusive with looking after the well-being or uh, the welfare of an employee as well. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I think one of the biggest misconceptions I talk about the most is that all of this stuff is HR's problem. And it's like, what we found this year, right, is people are really adaptable. People are loyal. People are adaptable. People Mm -hmm. are creative. We've really needed our people over the last 12 months. Yeah. And so I think organizations have realized how important humans really are to our businesses and how without them, we don't really have businesses because,
0: Mm
1: -hmm. you know, we're not at a point yet where robots can kind of come up with ideas and create products and all
0: that. Mm -hmm.
1: And so we've really, yeah we really valued that actually having humans got us through this pandemic better than if organizations had been set up yeah i think we've actually proved that mm-hmm. uh, having employees is a really really important part of uh, of our business and so i think we've also realized as well that when employee well-being is high for example it, why should it just be hr's job to get employee well-being better? when the benefits of having really well and happy employees is that they will deliver better customer service
0: yeah. and they will
1: have, we'll have more loyal customers. Mm-hmm. So actually, employee well-being becomes everybody's responsibility and mm-hmm. the employee experience is everybody's responsibility. And so HR might define the strategy, but lots of people will feed into that they might control the run-out of that, but it's everybody's responsibility. That's if you right. want good customer service and mm-hmm. customer loyalty teams and customer experience teams need to be working with HR to create policies that allow employees to bring their personality to work and to be happy and to be well and deliver that great service. And I think there's organizations that see that employee experience as the responsibility of all these different stakeholders, not just HR, Yeah. that will be successful in the future
0: mm-hmm i could not agree with you more you're preaching to the choir over here for sure um that's something that definitely needs to be improved on and I, I i hope that we are making the right end roads to see to see that happen i think so so tell us what's next for getting that in
1: oh big question so we'll get we'll get through the pandemic first yeah.
0: um, <laughs> we <gotta laughs> we'll do make that
1: sure, make sure that gets out of the way um I've been thinking about a second book, so uh, I've been thinking about uh, the, the topics for that. It's been a couple of years since my last book was out, so Yeah,
0: So tell us a little bit about your first book. Sorry.
1: Um. So it's called uh, "A World of Good: Lessons from Around the World and Improving the Employee Experience," and it's driven on uh, based on the idea that lots of these really kind of progressive businesses, like Google and Microsoft and Apple, talk about this way to treat employees that seems really kind of forward-thinking. Mm-hmm. Actually. So much of this stuff has got its traces in many, many cultures around the world, but also going back hundreds of years. So I wanted to surface all of the research I could find to basically talk about how actually you didn't need to have millions and millions of dollars in a budget and be experimental like Google. Mm -hmm. You can look back to England 200 years ago or parts of uh, uh, Northern Europe uh, 50 years ago, um, parts of Africa, you know, three, four, 500 years ago. Mm -hmm. The different things are all around the world that these communities and indigenous groups have been doing for such a long time that we can learn from that will create great experiences at work. Yeah. And it gets down to this real point of putting the employee at the centre of the business, mm-hmm. and making sure that as long as we get them to be happy and they've got everything they need, they will deliver everything we need them to for the organisation. Yeah. So that's kind of the theme of the book, and it and unlike most that. HR books, it reads less like a textbook and more like a novel. Right. So it kind of it flows a little bit more like a story. Um, okay. So uh, hopefully that was making it a little bit more interesting than most certainly HR books that I've read.
0: <laughs> I I hope so. I'm looking forward to reading that. So you're looking to create a second book?
1: Yes. Um, and then yeah, Benefex is going through some huge growth as well, so supporting that as well. Um, and I think just trying now to use the platform I've got to kind of really make a difference uh, mm-hmm. uh, around the world. I'm lucky that we've got so many very big brands working with us that I get exposure to working with those companies. Right. Um, and I think I've realized as well that lots of HR people are juggling so much that there's a lot of things that I can do for them. So mm-hmm. reading and researching. So reading the books, listening to the podcasts, looking yep. at the research mm-hmm. and distilling that down for them. So they're still getting the messages without having to put the work in. Yeah, And I think sharing that evidence, that kind of thought leadership and expertise is something uh, our, certainly our customers have told me they've really valued over the last 12 months so mm-hmm. I really want to kind of continue to lead the charge on that Yeah. Um, and obviously the great thing for me to be able to do that is as I do that I come up with new product ideas I help our sales team I help our customer success team mm-hmm. um, and, and, and then share that with the market as well you know at Benefits, we've always been very open with sharing the stuff we find um, mm-hmm. because we're we're driven by wanting to create better workplaces whether you're a customer of ours or not and I think i think we've hopefully done that i've had a lot of good feedback over the last year to suggest that we've really been helping some big brands that you know everyone would recognize and so um yeah looking forward to continue doing more of that over the next couple of years
0: oh that sounds great well i wish you all the best i look forward to hearing more and being and, and interacting with you more as time goes by but you survived your time here today and i really appreciate you joining me for this conversation um and i look forward to learning more and reading more uh, about you and what you do so all the best to you
1: some great questions really appreciate you having me on great thank you
0: you're welcome thank you for joining us in the sound booth today i hope that you found the information in this episode really useful You can follow HR Sound Off on all social media platforms, Instagram, Facebook, LinkedIn, and also be sure to subscribe to our YouTube channel. Thanks to Anchor FM for helping me put this information together for you. And I will see you again when we next Sound Off.